This is Let's Talk Tribe, the official Let's Go Tribe podcast, episode 22, Uribe, the Meme Machine, recorded on February 26, 2016. Hello and welcome to Let's Talk Tribe, episode 22, with your hosts, me, Matt Lyons, and Jason Lucart. Jason, how are you? I'm doing good. good. Baseball's getting closer, so I'm doing good. That's always that's always good. You excited about doing this for a second week in a row? Yeah, I think we're, we're, we hit the ground running. I think week, week one or week 21 or week, <laughs> however we want to label it. I think it went well last week and we're, we're going to get into a good rhythm with this and it's, it's going to be the highlight of our week every week, I'm sure. Yeah, I was pretty happy with it. I think people are excited for another Indians podcast that isn't on ESPN or MLB Network or that kind of thing. So let's just get right into Indian stuff. Um, over the past couple months, we've been doing, everyone's been voting on Indians prospects, and that finally wrapped up, and I finally got around to putting it all into two little posts on their own. So we had, let's see, when did that start? That was quite a while ago. Yeah, that prospect was, season is long. There's a lot of off-season to come, so I feel oh, like... Yeah. Right after New Year's prospect season starts and runs right till spring break or spring training gets going. Yeah, that's when I did it. I started it right at New Year's because that's when everybody was doing it. So do you want to just kind of go down the list and if anything sticks out to you and as it being in a weird place, you can kind of give your opinion on it? Sure. I will say ahead of time, uh, I try to be at least somewhat informed on all of the baseball fronts. I certainly don't consider myself like a prospect guy, though. So once you get too far down the list it's just sort of a yeah i've heard good things or that sort of thing that's fine that's the way i am too probably mostly okay so starting with the top one and two bradley zimmer clint fraser i don't think there's anything really to talk about there <laughs> yeah i think i mean pretty much everyone agrees that they're the top two i've heard a few fans who who want to mention one of the pitchers um but i think in terms of track record and where they're at uh it's got to be those two uh and it seems like they're probably both more of a 2017 arrival than 2016, mm-hmm. which I know impatient fans don't want to wait. Um, if they both turn out and Michael Brantley's all right, the outfield could be awfully, awfully good pretty soon. Oh, yeah, for sure. And I think Brantley's on the team until 2018 or 2019 he's under contract. So we yeah. just get a couple pretty awesome years with outfield there. And actually, interesting, I don't know if you noticed, but Baseball Prospectus, they had Brady Aiken's number two. Did they? Oh, yeah. <laughs> they like their new shiny toys, and they had them. <laughs> they noted the Tommy John surgery, but they didn't seem to care. They, they like his upside, which I'm okay with. Yeah, I mean, he's a really interesting case. I mean, there's not a lot of comparable situations for that in terms of how the Indians were able to get him. Um, he's so far off. I always have a hard time thinking about prospects who were probably three years away the same way I do about guys who, you know, might be here this season or next season. Uh I feel like overall, and, and maybe I'm jumping the gun and we can mention, you know, Sheffield and uh, Kaminsky and McKenzie and Hillman. There, I feel like right now there are more, at least for me, exciting arms in the farm system than at any time since I was really paying attention to the farm system. Oh, yeah, for sure. Especially just compared to a couple of years ago, it was just barren. But now we're loaded, yeah. which is nice to see because one through 20, when you look at everybody, there's pitchers just everywhere. Well, in the top of the rotation, you know, with Kluber and Carrasco and Salazar, should be really good the next couple of years. And, you know, attrition, those three guys probably aren't still going to be really good by 2018. Something's going to happen to one of them. Um, 
but that's about the time that a lot of these guys should be should be ready to go. It, it feels like potentially the rotation could be uh, a real strength of the team, not just this year, next year, for the next five or six years. Oh yeah, if even just one or two pan out, it's they've got a good rotation for the better part of a decade, I think. Yeah. So the number three, speaking of the rotation, it's Mike Clevenger, which we had him. Baseball Prospectus didn't have him listed at all. Baseball America had him at seven, and minor league ball they matched us at three. I don't know how you feel about him at three. Uh, it seems high to me. Uh, I, I was really happy with the season he had last year. Um, and I think it's under, you know, our poll was put together through a reader vote. Um, and I, I know Let's Go Tribe has more informed Indians fans than, you know, your average Cleveland Indian site or, you know, Cleveland sports site. Mm-hmm. Um, but I still think there's probably in, in some ways uh, a much heavier reliance on the most recent statistical performance of these guys um, than you're going to see from Baseball America or Baseball Prospectus or Fangraphs or you know MLB or um, John Sickles or any of those guys. They're going to be blending more things together. Um, you know, but for us, you can you look at their stats in the box score if you're paying attention to it. Um, you know, and that's kind of what you have to go off other than what the stats are saying. So I'm not surprised he was higher. Um, if I were making my own list, I don't think I'd have him at number three. I know I wouldn't have him at number three. Yeah, there was a really obvious draw towards the players that are closer to ready. And so that's, mm-hmm. in, in less cases like Bobby Bradley, where he's only 19, but he hit a ton of home runs. Other than that, it's that they were closer. There was a pretty obvious bias in our votes for the closer players like Tristan McKenzie and Juan Hillman. I don't think either of them made the top 10. Mackenzie barely did, but Hillman didn't. Yeah. But, yeah, so everybody likes the ones that are closer, which is understandable. I mean, yeah. if you're not just studying prospects, you want to see the guys that are going to be up closer and sooner. Right. And then, oh, the other thing I wanted to mention was we actually matched John Sickles quite a bit in this top ten. Hmm. So we got one through seven, one through six, we're all the same. After that, we get in a little same, bit different. In the but, same order, too? He yep, had Clevenger third? Yeah, he had Clevenger third. Oh. Interesting. And then fourth, we both had Bobby, ah, Bobby Bradley, which seems good to me. And MLB.com's ranking just came out, and they had him at 3-2, or at 4, which, I mean, you can't argue against that kind of power at 19. I, and I think that kind of power is what, if you had to pick something that Indians fans are craving, it's someone who can hit 30-some home runs. And, uh, you know, Fraser certainly has big power, but I think Bradley's power feels... Uh, a little more like moonshot home runs, uh, whereas Frazier feels like line drives all over the place, at least for me. Right, uh, that hashtag right-handed power bat. <laughs> yeah. That we've been waiting so long for. So I think Bradley's someone that, you know, you mentioned in terms of guys probably still a little further away, but who your average fan is already getting really excited about. I think that power uh, has fans drooling. Mm-hmm. And I think that's going to work for him and against him, having everybody watch him this closely at 19. Because, I mean, if he isn't perfect next year at 20 and what level, like still he's only an A ball, people are going to be calling him out on it because they think they're expecting him to be competing like he's already in AAA where he's going to be consistent, but he's not just because he's still so young. Yeah, I, I think that'll be a mixed blessing. Something that's happened in the last few years is Mike Trout and Bryce Harper have totally ruined the curve for hitting prospects. You know, they were so good at such young ages. Um, and I think people, 
have somehow subconsciously started to think that that's like, oh yeah, that's a that's a thing that good hitters do. But it's like, no, when you look at Mike Trout and Bryce Harper and try to find other guys, it's like, oh yeah, Ted Williams pops up on the list and Jimmy Fox pops up on the list. There's like five other guys in baseball history and four of them are like inner circle Hall of Famers. What, what Trout and Harper have been doing is unbelievable and no one should have any sort of expectation that they're going to develop like that. Right. So number five, Rob Kaminsky, we had, that's a little bit of a drop where he was ranked last year. I think he was the top pitcher for a little while, but we got him for half a year of Brandon Moss, which I'll take because <laughs> MLB.com has him as number 10, which I'm still fine with again for half a year of Brandon Moss for a big lefty with, well, short lefty with a great curveball. I'll take that. Yeah. Uh, like you said, a few months of Brandon Moss, or if you want to just cut Brandon Moss out of it and think of it that they traded, you know, Joe Wendell, who'd be like their 20th prospect for someone who's now somewhere in the six to 10 range. That is um, magic. Yeah, that, that's a big success for the front office. Absolutely. And then following him is another pitcher, Justice Sheffield, which we talked about a little bit, but um, John Sickles, again, he had a match with us. BP and Baseball America both had him at four. And he's another one that sort of came, I guess not another one, but he's the first one that sort of came out of nowhere last year, I think, a little bit at least. The people that were looking deep into the system might have noticed him, but I don't think a lot of most fans did until yeah. last year when he had a 3.31 ERA, 299 FIP in A-ball. Yeah, I mean, he was a fairly high draft pick, so I know he got some attention right around the draft. Um, but, you know, it's not like the baseball draft is the NBA or the NFL where your first pick is probably in your starting lineup, you know, the next day. So... They get attention right after the draft, and then, like you said, sort of, you know, your average fan forgets about them until they actually do something. Yeah, I think it's sort of the same boat, like I said, with Juan Hellman and Tristan McKenzie. They drafted them, they look shiny, now they're gone. And then in a year or two when they perform again, people are going to notice them, just like they're noticing Justice Sheffield. Right. So then, seven, where everyone voted Brady Aiken, I thought it was low, but John Sickles had him at nine, and BP had him at two, Baseball America at three. I thought he was going to go higher than that, but everybody in the comments, every post was talking about the surgery. And for a while, I think from number four on, he was almost tied for the second place vote, but he just kept getting dropped and dropped and dropped. <laughs> so he was almost number four. He ended up at seven. Yeah, I wonder, you know, that's the sort of thing, what you just described, him finishing second over and over means there was a lot of people, you know, a relatively large group of people who thought he should be, you know, number three, number four. Um, and that same group of people continued to vote for him. I'm sure, I'm certain someone has looked at this before. I'd be interested to know when you look at, say, the top 100 prospect lists from, you know, again, Fangraphs, BP, Baseball America, all of these groups. Um, I would, my hypothesis would be there's a lot more variance in how pitchers are ranked mm -hmm. than position players. Uh, and I don't know if that's just, concerns about potential health issues or um but i feel like you see in those top 100s the position players who are in someone's top 10 aren't any farther down than like 14th or 15th on anyone else's list i feel like it's the same you know seven to ten position players i feel like pitchers you're more likely that someone's got them 10th and someone's got them 20 something or someone has them 20 something and someone else has them not even in the top 50 um, so I, that would that's what I would think you'd see or anyone who's looked at it has seen. And I feel like looking at the Let's Go Tribe 
uh, voting and then how our list compares to some of these other ones, you see the same thing. I mean, it's Zimmer and Frazier and it's Bradley. Um, and then you've got a lot of pitchers. Almost everyone has five or six pitchers in the top, you know, 10 or 11. Um, but the order and ranking of them is really different list to list in some cases. Yeah, and I think, I don't know if anybody will admit it, but I think with pitchers, you have to, everybody has to assume somebody's arm's going to explode at some point. <laughs> with position players, you don't. And it's mostly, unless somebody knows something I don't, it's subjective, I guess, when you think they're going to be injured. So if you personally think that either uh, Aiken won't come back or someone like Adam Pluko is going to get injured, you're going to rank him lower compared to someone who thinks they're going to be fine is going to rank him higher. Because with position players, you just look, if they're good, they go high. If they're bad, they go low. Other than someone like Tyler and Aiken, maybe, you'll take his health into account. I don't think many people do for position players. Right. Yeah, I think you're absolutely right about that. And speaking of Naquin, he's number eight, which I thought was a little high. Although Baseball America had him at six and Minor League Ball had him at 11. Yeah, I think that's, you know, similar to what you said with Clevenger, that a lot of people, uh, not necessarily overrating, but but rating more highly than the, the prospect outlets, um, you know, someone who's pretty close. There's no reason Naquin couldn't be up, you know, in – he could be on the opening day roster if they wanted him to be. I don't think he'd be a big downgrade from whoever the fifth outfielder on the roster is going to be. Mm-hmm. And I think we'll see him in Cleveland at some point this season. Um, again, for me, he's someone who just, while he's close, it's hard for me to picture him ever becoming more than like a solid, you know, eight hitter who, you know, play which is fine. I mean, almost every team needs a couple guys in the starting lineup who are just average players. And, you know, teams don't tend to have nine above average players in the lineup. It's just hard for me to get excited about it. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, yep. yeah. Just be a fine player. He'll just sort of be there and hopefully not get injured while he's playing in the majors. And, you know, occasionally guys that everyone sort of thinks like, yeah, he's a decent chance to be an average player. He's not going to be much more. Occasionally that <laughs> turns out to be wrong and they turn into all-stars. I don't think... You know, Ben Zobrist is someone like that who I think coming up when he was a prospect and early in his career, um, and then suddenly, I don't even remember what year it was. It's been a while now, but suddenly it's like, oh, wait, he's really, really good. And <laughs> right. then for four or five years, he's one of the 20 or so best players in baseball. I'd like that to happen with Naquin. I'd be all for that, <laughs> <laughs> obviously. So that number nine is Adam Plutko. Which this is a big one that I think goes with people looking at recent success and how close they look to the majors because we had him a lot higher than anybody. Well, minor league ball had him at ten, but baseball prospectus and baseball America not in their top ten at all. But everyone voted him number nine, which he was really good last year. Though he had three point three seven FIP and two point eight six ERA. Yeah, he's another perfect example of someone who could be pretty close to joining the team if there's a need for him, and who put up really good numbers last year. Um, I don't recall where he was in our voting last year, um, but I imagine he was one of the bigger jumpers um, just because, you know, in 2014, you know, he split his time between, you know, single A and high A and his ERA year was like four. Mm -hmm. Um, And, you know, so he's, he was 22 years old at that point and, posting an ERA of four in, in single A. I, but then, you know, a year later, he puts up, a, a you know, an ERA below two and a half against tougher competition. Um, so it's understandable that he grabbed everyone's attention. But as another example of, you know, where for me, I can't 
think of 2015 so much that I'm ignoring the fact that a year ago he wasn't in my top, you know, 20. Um, so we'll see. Yeah. You just sort of came out of nowhere. Yeah. Um, and I'm obviously glad he had such a good year last year and hope he can build on that. Um, yeah, I think it's but, great. He's also got invite to spring training too. I don't think he'll, he's not competing for a spot, but it'll be nice. That everybody gets a look. Yeah, at no, it's nice to get that exposure to that and, and, you know, be around the other guys. Um, and yeah, I'd love to see him have another really good year. You know, he spent most of last year at double a, um, and again, he kept his ERA below three there. Um, he doesn't walk a lot of guys, which is great. Um, yeah, he's all control. Not a whole lot. I don't know if he has any like plus pitches, but everything he just controls so well. Right. So, yeah, I mean, always, of course, rather a guy have a good year than a bad year. Yeah. Uh, I, I wouldn't jump him. I'm not ready to jump him from outside my top 20 to, to into my top 10, though. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he was a little high. Okay, so number 10, rounding out what we're going to talk about here. It was Tristan McKenzie, which we had 10, like I said. And Baseball Prospectus had him at 7, Baseball America 8, Minor League Ball 7. He was the first, not the first round pick, he was the supplemental draft the supplemental draft pick in 2015. Only 18 years old, he's just a tall, lanky kid, throws a good fastball. He only threw 12 innings in 2015, which is, I think, a reason that not a lot of people voted for him until he was almost out of the top 10. I think normally he would go higher, but everybody wanted to see more what he did last year, but he was great what he threw last year. Yeah. Well, we talked about or just the idea that um, very few fans are watching much minor league baseball. It's really cool that you can, uh, you know, the same way you can do MLB TV, you can do MILB TV. And I know we have some readers who do watch a lot of minor league games. Mm-hmm. Um, most fans don't watch any. Uh, <laughs> and so what's interesting to me is, whatever your own mental list is, it's based on, in some cases, the numbers, in some cases, you know, where they're ranked on other people's list. And you, you know, you sort of end up maybe being drawn to some outlets more than others. Um, But I also feel like there's something intangible about it because for reasons I couldn't say, explain McKenzie is the pitcher who, for some reason I'm finding myself really excited about (laughs) But again, I have no idea why. <laughs> I think it's just because he's the stuff guy. He's the young guy that throws a lot of stuff really fast, and it's just exciting. That's what it is for me, anyway. Right. Um, Are you more excited about it than Aiken? One, I think 2019 is probably a relatively realistic, you know, if things continue to go well. So it's going to be a while. Um, but yeah, yeah, he's one of the guys that I would have higher than the Let's Go Tribe uh, community list. Yeah, and I think he's going to be one that jumps up soon, too, because when he gets older and gets a better fastball, when he gets a little more muscle on him, right. it's going to be pretty good. Okay, so I'm not gonna, we're not going to go through, I don't think, the 11 through 20. Like you said before, I don't think a whole lot of people are going to... I know the, uh, the diehards will, but I don't think the majority of people will have watched or known about... Yeah. And I'm, I'm Matthias and Mike. I'd be happy to fake my way through <laughs> on those guys. Yeah, but I'll throw the link in the bottom of the post when we do the podcast <laughs> if anybody's interested. Yeah. So overall, what do you think of the top ten? Pretty accurate to what you would have in your own list, or? Uh, yeah. You know, like I said, I, I'm I'm a little less drawn to the big 2015 numbers. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, so there's a, a couple guys I'd probably have dropped uh, down in in one or two cases, maybe out. Um, but yeah, I think it's, it's fairly close. 
much more significantly, I think it's a really good group of prospects. Uh, you know, right, that's the important thing. Yeah. Pitchers <laughs> being better. Um, and, you know, the position players looked on some level a little better last year, if for no other reason than you still had Francisco Lindor on the list. Um, but, I mean, when you think about prospects being guys who are about to help the team and you also think about guys who just joined the team, I know sometimes you see lists that are, like, under the age of 25 players, whether they're still prospects or they're already on the team. I feel like the Indians have more legitimate uh, talent that's young right now, whether they're already in Cleveland or on the farm than they've had in a while. Uh, and given that they're not going to go handing out $200 million contracts to free agents because um, they don't have the money for it, they've got to, of course, develop a lot of good players. And so it's uh, encouraging that the farm system has gotten better and better the last few years and looks stronger than it has in a long time right now. Yeah, it's a good sign when you can promote Francisco Lindor, then your farm system next year is arguably even more exciting than it was. Right. <laughs> That's a good thing. So we went from young players. Now we're going to talk about not-so-young players, like Juan Uribe, who the Indians signed to a one-year four, could go up to five million from what I hear, deal. Uh, they signed him, I think it was Saturday, something like that. But it's not official yet because they have the whole visa issue with him getting into the country. It might still be a couple weeks, but if everything go well, goes well and he passes the physical... The Indians obviously listened to me, and they knew they should get one year eBay, and they did it. <laughs> yeah, Are you happy with it? I'm happy to know that through you, we now have the front office's ear, clearly. <laughs> You're welcome, everybody. <laughs> so next, I'm just going to say we should try for Mike Trout. Just throw it out to the Angels. <laughs> Listen to Matt. Listen to Matt. How about we give him, I don't know, we'll give him Justice Sheffield and a couple other prospects. That's how trades work, right? That should be it. That's like three good players for only one. <laughs> I know. It's, it's even. Um, you mentioned the visa issues and I don't know anything about this. You know, I, I have a passport for the rare occasion. Uh, I think I've used my passport like three times. Um, it always, it, every spring there are players with visa issues. Although I feel like usually it's like prospects, not veterans who have not one year making this trip back and forth for well over a decade. And it just sort of baffles me. Like, how does this happen? I don't know. Like, I mean, I'm terrible with paperwork. I will forget, you know, to go to the bank to do stuff. And is it just that? Is Uribe just like hanging out all weekend, all, all winter, and then suddenly he's like, "Oh my gosh, I'm supposed to be, you know, back in the states." And I, I just signed this four million dollar contract. Oh no! Yeah, like, does shouldn't his agent? Couldn't his agent be on top of that? Or doesn't he have like a cousin he can, you know, throw a little money just to keep track of that? It, it blows me away that every year this kind of stuff comes up, and maybe that I. Probably there's a whole layer to it that I'm missing, um, but it just always cracks me up. Mm -hmm. I'm trying to dig through it now because if I was good at my job, I would have looked that up before. But I don't know exactly what the visa issue is. That visa issue is actually yeah, I don't. There's an issue, and like I said, I'm sure there's like a legitimate reason for it. That <laughs> just I would hope. Now I'm laughing about a legitimate problem, but every year it happens with guys. Yeah. And statistically, I'm excited for it. I think he'll be an upgrade over Giovanni and Giovanni Urshela, obviously. And defense won't be too big of a drop-off. I don't know how much he followed what he did last year, but he played with three teams. So it was probably a bit of a mess for him, but he still managed to get almost two Fangraphs war. He still got on base in 320, 14 home runs. That's going to be a big addition to the lineup. And then defense, it shouldn't be too big of a drop. Last year, he looked a little bit worse, but I still think he's going to be above average. 
which is what the Indians need, I think. Yeah, I, I think, you know, in a perfect world, Oshella hit better last year, um, and there just didn't feel like there was any need for it. Um, but given how, how much he did struggle offensively, there's only so much, uh, you know, that great defense can cover. At some point, you've got to be able to do something on offense. Um, so I think it was a good move, too. Um, it's not a lot of money. Um, so, I, yeah, I think it was a smart signing for where the team's at and what it costs. Um, you know, I, I'm happy to have a third, a, a, at any position, another bat in the lineup with some pop. Mm-hmm. Um, and Uribe is one of those guys, if you just kind of pay attention to not only baseball, but like baseball fans and baseball writers, Juan Uribe is someone who fans of all of the teams he's played on, which has mostly been the Dodgers lately, but you know, going back even to when he was on the Giants, it always feels like his team's fans really like him. And when you can't oh, yeah. watch a guy day in and day out because he doesn't play in your favorite team, like for me on some level, at least fans, you know, who I follow on Twitter, you know, people who I think are reasonable people, on some level if they're excited about having had a player and they're sad to see a player go. Like for me, that does factor into my own excitement. It's like, all right, there's, there's something about this guy that makes him a fun guy to have on the team. Oh yeah. He's going to be, he's just like a big old meme machine. It's going to be awesome. (laughs) It's going to be fun to write about. Did you see that um, image? Somebody tweeted out, I don't remember who it was, but he's wearing like all black covered in gold. Yeah, there's some great, great like, cigar in his mouth. Yeah, he's yeah. He's there's some great cigar chomping pictures. There's a really good picture. I can't remember if it's sad Juan Uribe or I'm honestly <laughs> it's emo Juan Uribe. It's sad you know, Juan Uribe. That's Is the one it? I remember no. the most. Yeah, but Actually, yeah, my, I think it's sad though. It's a good one. Yeah. Um, I also just saw today that apparently the Yankees offered a minor a minor league deal. Really? And so I'm really hoping that he he took great offense to the Yankees <laughs> trying to sign him on a minor league deal, and he hits like five home runs against them this year. That'd be great. Well, so we're stealing all their little minor deals they wanted. First Tommy Hunter, now Juan Uribe. Take that, Yankees. We you got... can have CC Sabathia in your $170 million contract. We've got, <laughs> we've got Uribe. Juan Uribe. We've also got that guy with a J in his name that I won't say. Just for you, I won't say that guy. Thank you. I appreciate it. May he never appear in an Indian's jersey. Although you're a little late for that. We're talking about Joe Chamberlain, in case you want to know, but there's already pictures of him in an Indian's jersey. I don't know if you saw or if you kind of have a crucifix against that, but it's already out there. Nothing you can do about it now. Spring training jerseys, not like, I mean, that's like. <laughs> Anybody can wear those things. Stands. That's fine. You just have to show up and you'll get to wear one. <laughs> so I don't know how closely you follow the 40 man roster, but do you know. Who do you what do you think is going to happen with that when he gets added? When he whenever he gets added? Uh, I don't know. Um, I know at Let's Go Try there was and now I'm drawing a blank on whom, but there's someone who can get put on the 60 day DL if I'm remembering correctly. I tend not to, and sometimes I wonder if maybe I should be. Um, I tend not to really worry about the 39th, 40th man on the roster. I know occasionally teams do cut someone loose. Um, because they were the 41st guy, and then that guy goes on to be someone. But, like, I only have so much mental energy for things, and I'm trying to put it into a lot of different things. So at at some point, I'm just like, you know what? I'm just going to trust that whoever they decide was 41st is not a big loss. Um, (laughs) Yeah, and that 60-man guy you're thinking of, or 60-day guy, is Dylan Baker. Okay. And then the other, like, boring options they could do is cut Zach Walters, Joey Butler. There was someone else who was just kind of hanging out there. And I feel like that's how it always is. There's yeah. always just someone kind of hanging out there. And, like, it's just 
hard for me to believe that whoever that guy is was was very likely, uh, you know, to make a big difference. I feel like there's times when you let someone go to the Rule 5 draft who was like a prospect. Mm-hmm. I feel like that's where you're more likely to get burned than just like the, ah, it's spring training, we got to let one of these guys go. <laughs> um, Although I think we had that happen this year once. I'm going to bring this up every damn podcast. Kirby Yates. <laughs> <laughs> they should have kept Kirby Yates. He's going to be great on the Yankees. He would have been great on the Indians. They're going to regret it. Well, you can just tell yourself that the Indians tricked him for Juan Uribe, who the Yankees wanted, and you can just trick yourself into thinking that's how they Uribe. And then you're like, I always oh, get through crazy. the whole season on delusion. That's how I always get through the season. <laughs> so, no more Juan Uribe. How about Carlos Santana leading off? <laughs> that's a little bit of a difference. Uh, let's see. Um, you know, I love Carlos Santana. <laughs> really? I really sure? want him to have a good year. Because mm-hmm. um, I'm just so tired of people complaining about Carlos. Santana. You know, it's not going to stop, right? He could hit no, as well as he wants. He only yeah. hit 25 home runs. He's supposed uh, to be a third homer guy. I would be in a vacuum, context-free. I would be fine with Carlos Santana beating leadoff. Um, you know, he gets on base at a good clip. Um, you know, so you're going to have a guy in first base, oftentimes to start the game, and even when you don't, a lot of times you're going to have, you know, the pitcher is going to have thrown more pitches than he might otherwise have thrown. Um, there's a lot that I like about that. I feel like most of the suggestion that Santana should lead off mostly seems to be about, well, Michael Brantley is out. I think it seems to be that, you know, when Brantley's back, then they'll put Kipnis into the leadoff spot again, and Santana will drop back to four or five. And, you know, so it's just for however many weeks Brantley's out. And I, I, I guess to me, the best solution to what to do with the batting order while Michael Brantley is out is just, What's the batting order going to be when Michael Brantley is back? Okay, just slide everyone who is behind Brantley up a spot and put Raji Davis ninth. <laughs> uh, I think I would rather they just stick with Kipnis there rather than planning to change the batting order. Yeah, that's the biggest thing. I don't know why you'd want to take Kipnis out. Yeah. So, I mean, again, if we if none of these guys had ever – played for the Indians and we were just looking at who they were and trying to put an order together and Terry Francona decided Carlos Santana is going to lead off. I'd be like, all right, go for it. Um, as is, I would rather just keep Kipnis there and not reshuffle things very much. Yeah. And taking the position of the guy who doesn't, who just do it completely anecdotally. I think there's something to say about Santana as a kind of guy who hits where he wants to hit. Cause it seemed like he was really bad when he was in the, he was hitting second and all of a sudden, you got a little bit better hitting fourth, which again, I'm not looking at numbers right now. So just off the top of my head. And he said he doesn't want to hit DH. I don't know how he would do leading off if he doesn't want to. Because that's got to be at least a little part of it, I would think. Right. But again, that's based on almost nothing. Just anecdotally, I think he's the kind of guy who you want to hit him where he's going to be comfortable. Because he's the kind of guy that believes it, so it's going to get into his head a little bit. Yeah, it'll be interesting, like you said. He said in the past he doesn't want to DH. Uh if Napoli's healthy, I think Napoli's going to be playing first base most of the time, and Carlos is going to be DHing. Um, I feel like he's had enough time to work through stuff. I don't think he's going to, you know, throw a fit, and I don't expect him to struggle because he's DHing. Although most players do hit not quite as well when they're DHing, yeah. um, but I feel like he, yeah, he, he's already sort of going to be forced to make his peace with that. Um, right. Yeah. You know, and a couple of years ago when he didn't want to DH and, you know, he understood that Jan Gomes was going to take over as the catcher. And so, you know, he asked about, hey, if I go down to winter ball and play third base there, would that be an option? And, you know, it 
for a while it was, but then that didn't go well. well. (laughs) Playing two, three different positions, and and this isn't just Carlos Santana. I feel like with most players, it's just like, and you hear players talk about this stuff all the time. It's like they like to have a routine. They like to know what they're going to be doing, Mm -hmm. um, which is why I don't like the idea of of coming up with some completely different batting order to cover the three, hopefully no more than three or four weeks at Brantley's out. Um, yeah, I would just put Santana where you're planning to put him or move him up one spot. Cause, cause Brantley's out. Yeah. That's the thing I was, that's the word I was thinking of his routine. I think he wants to keep his same routine. I mean, if he's a professional, I'm sure he'll work over it and get over it. If you put him lead off, but I don't think it's worth it. Cause Kenneth has been good enough there anyway. Yeah, I mean, Kipnis was great there. So it yeah. just feels like, why are we looking to a sol- for a solution to a problem that doesn't exist? <laughs> I think this all came about because Francona kind of said it offhandedly. Yeah. And it just kept spinning out from there. But yeah, it's spring training that happens. <laughs> no matter what Francona says, it's going to be a story. <laughs> gotta say something. <laughs> He's got a lot of time to fill. So is there any player in spring in particular you want to kind of take off? Are you looking for a big spring out of? Um... Well, on some level, Carlos Santana, although much more the regular season. <laughs> if I had to pick someone, it would be it would be Trevor Bauer. Um, I, I'm really confident in Kluber and Carrasco and Salazar. I'm not very confident in Bauer. Um, and I don't know why. He's just been really obviously inconsistent. I mean, he's had days when he looks great, and then he's had days when he looks like he should be in Columbus. Right. Um, spring training stats – don't tend to be very predictive of regular season success or lack of success. Um, the exception that's been shown is that strikeout and walk rate do have more correlation with the regular season. So I would love to see Bauer post good strikeout numbers and good walk numbers uh, during spring training in hopes that that carries over. Um, he obviously has the potential to turn the big three into the big four. And for a while last year, we were talking about it as the big four. And on some level, that's kind of an insult to Corey Kluber and Carlos Carrasco. I think, you know, they're both, at this point, they have a compliment. I mean, Kluber has done a lot more than Carrasco so far, um, but Carrasco's now been awesome for long enough. Certainly, I think you can put him on that level. On some level, I think it's a big two with Salazar being a really good three. Right. But, I mean, that's all I'm just babbling to myself. The point <laughs> no, is... You're right, you got a point, yeah. Bauer, it's the big two and then the big second step of two. Yeah, and, you know, Bauer, if he gets it going, if he gets things together, the starting rotation could be, you know, you're talking about the, the mid-90s Braves, good. Um, and I just, I'm not sold that Bauer's going to get it together. So I, I guess he feels like the biggest potential jump forward um, so I would love to hit, see him do things well in spring that could actually correlate to him having a better regular season. Yeah. And when you asked me about this before we did the show, I didn't even think of Trevor Bauer at all. <laughs> I was thinking the ones below him. I want one of Josh Tomlin, Cody Anderson, TJ House. I want that to be a really good competition. Sure. That makes sense. Yep. I don't care which one. I do kind of care. I want TJ House to do really well just because what he went through last season. But just on a player level, I want one of those three to just come through and be the big fifth starter. Be like the kind of fifth starter that looks more like a three. That's optimistic, but <laughs> that'd be great. There's no reason. We might as well be optimistic. That's it's spring, spring training. training yeah. is for. So um, anything else about spring training you wanted to talk about? Uh, no, I mean, I'm looking forward to games starting next week. Um, although I think what everyone forgets 
is that every year we're all really, really excited for the games to start. And we're all really excited for the first game. And we're all pretty excited for the second and third game. And then by like the fourth or fifth game, it's like, all right, I'll check in on that. And when's the regular season going to get here? <laughs> it's funny. Uh, you can see that in the broadcast schedules. When you look, yeah. they have the first, like, four to the first five are all scheduled broadcasts. Like, you're going to be so excited to see them and then nothing. You get and radio. It's funny because those first couple of games are like the goofiest ones too. Right. It's like I'm so excited to see Corey Kluber throw two innings, and I'm so <laughs> excited to see Lindor out there for three innings. And then later in the spring, when they're starting to actually play more, you're right. That's when there aren't as many games that you can actually watch. Right. And also, Tomlin's starting the first spring training game, so I mean, I guess Kluber isn't really an ace now, is he? Nope, he's been <laughs> demoted. Josh Tomlin, opening day. Josh Tomlin, awesome. That's confirmed. Kluber's is horrible. <laughs> Just cut him. I mean, we don't own money or anything. Have they officially? I mean, it's it's going to be Kluber, but has Francona like officially said it's going to be Kluber yet? No, he hasn't said anything yet. I think a lot of teams ha- have announced. I which is I funny. There's always like 25 of the 30 teams. It's like, yeah, we know who it's going to be. There's only a few teams when it's like, oh. They have a decision to make. I think if it is Kluber automatically at this point, it's just because he was it last year and he's close enough to being it this year. I think Carrasco could end up being the actual quote-unquote ace. But if they're that close, you just do Kluber again, I think. Yeah, no, exactly. Like, I, I agree that Carrasco, you know, last year and, and going back to, you know, the beginning of August, even in, in 2014, that Carrasco has basically matched him. Uh, but at some point, yeah, it's just, you know, in the event of a tie – you know, you you got to beat the champion to become the champion. You can't just tie the champion. You don't you don't win the title belt with a draw. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> okay, so then we asked on Twitter to send in some questions. We got a couple good ones, I think. Nice. So the first one from oh, and by the way, if you want to ask questions, you can tweet us at Let's Go Tribe, message us on Facebook, email madr.lions at gmail.com or anything like that, and we'll mention it on the podcast. So the ones we got for today. The first one was from Pronkville08 on Twitter. Who do you think wins the fifth starter spot? You want to take this one first? Uh, yeah, I think, I think it's going to be Josh Tomlin. Um, I, I'm with you in that I'd love to see a close competition between Tomlin uh, and TJ House and Anderson. I think the big advantage that Tomlin has is I'm 99% sure he can't be optioned to Columbus. So he's either on the roster or they're potentially losing him. And I think he pitched too well last year for them to risk losing him. Um, and I, they could put him in the bullpen. You know, if, if House or Anderson is really, really good, I guess that'd be another option. Um, but I feel like the fact that House and Anderson can be just sent to Columbus – and they'll be needed at some point, inevitably. Um, but I think that's a big enough built-in advantage um, that either of the other guys would have to be a lot better than Tomlin, um, which they could be. But I guess I think it'll be close enough that that option issue is what ends up deciding it. Yeah. How about you? You said that you really – you said that because you went through last year that TJ House is who you're hoping to see. Um, do you think he's going to pull it off? No. <laughs> I think it's going to be a big contest. It's going to be build up through strength training. Even if the team doesn't build it up, we're all going to build it up. As right. it's only really huge battle, I think. But it's going to be Tomlin. I don't yeah. think there's even that much of a question, really. I would yeah, like there to be just for like, interesting. You have to consider this stuff. I mean, right? I feel like even if 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 House ends up looking ten percent better, the team, rightfully so, has to think about 
what's the effect of choosing this guy? And if the effect of choosing House is losing Tomlin and the effect of choosing Tomlin is you call House up the first time you need another guy, then it just it makes a lot more sense to go with Tomlin. Mm-hmm. Yep. So next question was from at Jim Tommy Statue on Twitter. Can Urshela play outfield? I'll take this one. Nope. <laughs> I don't. I even looked just to see maybe did he play it in college or anything. I didn't see anything, so no. <laughs> well, and I think it's, I agree with your answer, but just to really a bit and and to give the question a little more time. Um, you know, I, I, I'm certain that the reasoning behind this question, if it was you know a an, an earnestly asked question and not just a joke, which it, I'm thinking it might have been a joke, but oh. <laughs> you know he's he's almost certainly not going to start at third base now because of Uribe, um, and so I think there's just that like, hey, he's a really good defender. Would maybe an outfield spot work? Um, whether the question was legitimate or not, I mean, I think this kind of thing does legitimately get wondered about a lot. Not even just with Urshela, but with lots of players. Um, I think there's the idea that if, you know, you can just find the right position. And I think what Lonnie Chisenhall did last year is only kind of added to that, that, hey, we already had a third baseman who got moved (laughs) to the outfield, and he was awesome out there. So maybe... Urshela can do it too, right? Um, But I think the difference there is that Chisenhall had had multiple opportunities at third base, and it just wasn't working. And Urshela is still really, really young. Um, And in some ways, this relates, this goes back to the Carlos Santana stuff, that, like... The idea of, you know, well, try this different thing and try that different thing and try this position and do it this way. Like, I feel like it's hard if you're going to change someone's defensive position, you're absolutely removing some of their focus from other things they're working on. So you shouldn't be surprised if they don't, you know, for example, hit as well, which is what happened with Santana. Um, I want Urshela playing third base. I want him playing every day. I don't want to try him at a different position and I don't want him on the bench in Cleveland. He should go to Columbus and he should start at third base every day because the plan with Juan Uribe is still that Urshela is going to be the third baseman in 2017. Yep. So when you, um, when you're talking about moving someone to a different position, that's usually bat first. You're thinking is that they can hit really well, but he's not very good on defense. I don't know if very often you say this guy can't hit. Can we put him somewhere else on defense? Right. I think it's the other way around normally. Exactly. It's like he's a really good defensive third baseman. Yeah, he might be a really good defensive outfielder, but too. But who cares? He can't but if he can't hit well enough to play third base, he can't really hit well enough you know, to play right field or left field either. Right. So the last question we have is from XC Warrior one on Twitter. Outside of Michael Brantley, does the rest of the team appear healthy and ready to go for opening day? Tomlin, full go, 100%. So this one I actually looked up beforehand. So if you want me to take it, I will. <laughs> yes, I'm, unless you have the Indians medical staff on the line, I'm welcome. So coming on the line right now, let me call him. Yeah, uh, Tomlin, I completely forgot he was injured last year. I don't know how that slipped my mind. But yeah, that's how Cody Anderson got his shot. He was injured in April. I'm sure he's fine now. I don't know why he wouldn't be. And then um, the only other injuries that I know of are Abraham Almonte. He missed, uh, he's going to set out a few days of back spasms, but he should be fine by opening day. As long as that doesn't linger and he gets it worked out right away. Tommy Hunter and Craig Stamen, either of them are expected to make opening day. Hunter with a core muscle injury. He's going to be around either way. He's on a major league deal. But Craig Stamen, if he doesn't make the roster by March 25th, then he can opt out of his contract. And if he makes the roster, he gets a million dollars. He threw off the mound last week, but he's still not going to make it. He has a torn flexor tendon. 
And that is all that I know of, is Almonte, Hunter, and Stamen. So and Tomlin should be fine. If we assume that Almonte's back issues are, are worked out in the next week or so, then really you're just looking you know, at Brantley, which is, of course, a big deal, right. uh, and then a couple of bullpen arms. So I think that's yeah. a pretty good situation. What's interesting, and I don't know if it's interesting to me in a good way or a bad way, I guess it should be a good way, is Michael Brantley keeps saying his goal is to be ready by opening day. I'm sure and it's I think that's probably just like, hey, what the heck, I might as well make that <laughs> my goal. Yeah. Um, and while I'd love for him to be 100% healthy by opening day, I don't think that's going to be the case, in which case I don't want him there on opening day. I, I certainly hope they don't rush him back. Um, I guess I'm trying to be encouraged at the fact that he set that as a goal, and as we talked about last week, he's picking up bats where he finds them and swinging them at stuff. <laughs> he's actually uh, hitting things now, I'll have you know. He's hitting <laughs> balls off tee and everything. Nice, tee ball. <laughs> yeah. Good start. It took me like three years to go from T-ball to baseball, but Brantley's better than me, so he can He's pop a professional. in weeks. Um, but I am like I've gone from I think a month ago, if you had said he's going to miss the first thirty, thirty-five games, but then he'll be back and be okay, I would have been like cool. Now I'm more like, all right, if he's missing like twenty, maybe twenty-five games, I'm cool with that. But if he's missing more than that, I've let myself be talked into the fact that the timeline should be shorter than I thought it should be a while ago. Yeah, and the good thing is, it's him saying he wants to be back early, and it's the Indians saying no, he's not going to be back. If it was the other way around, if it was the Indians saying he's going to be back by opening day, and Brantley saying I don't want to be back till July, I'd be a little worried about that. But yeah. I think he's yeah. going to push himself, but the team is going to keep him back and do what they're supposed Which to do. Which is absolutely the right thing to do. Right, absolutely. Do. Okay, so that's all the questions we have. I think that might be everything we had. We ran about the same time as last week, I think. So, so we've got it down. We're professionals now. Uh, yeah, I think uh, next week we'll have a couple games to talk about. We'll, we'll have the first in-game action to discuss. Oh, that'll be so good. We get to watch them and everything. I know, that'll be exciting. <laughs> I'm just going to tell my students to occupy themselves for the last hour of the day on Monday. That uh, yeah, I'm just grading papers at my desk. <laughs> Ignore the random cheering. Baseball coming from my computer. <laughs> that's what you do anyway, right? I mean. Yes, that's yeah. me and every teacher. That's what America would like you to believe. <laughs> that's why we always let you teach. Ah, every time there's a test, that's all you did. Right? You have the graded test. So, that's it. Here comes the exit music again, which you still don't know, but it's there.